Well, hello everyone. Hi. Welcome to Bible study. It's so good to see everybody tonight. I'm glad you're here. Yes. I missed you all last week. Yes. Yeah, about this time, I think I was sitting in a hot tub. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So that that doesn't negate the fact that I missed you, but it was doing something else at that moment. That's all. But good to see everyone. We'll get started. Let's uh, ask God's blessing on our time. Father, thanks for this place to gather. We thank you for this time. We thank you, God, for your presence here. We ask that you would lead us and guide us tonight. We pray for your Holy Spirit to speak and that we'd have ears to hear what you want to say. I ask God that you'd teach us tonight. Uh, I pray that we'd be willing and open to learn from you. So have your way. Pray that you lead, you guide, and you order this time. Just pray that, God, you'd be glorified in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Just as a quick reminder as we get started, the Heimlich Maneuver is for choking victims. And feel free to get in on that if you need to. Uh, the second thing is that we do have a, a uh, feature that we're trying out, and that is a question and answer feature that can be done online. We're doing it for the benefit of people that aren't physically here with us that listen to the podcast, but uh, they're welcome to ask a question online. And I would do my best to answer it, or we would do our best to answer it. We've had one question so far uh, from Thailand. And so we're hoping to get some more questions in in the next week or so as we finish up our evaluation to see if it's of value to what we're doing and where we're going with it. If uh, someone would like to use that, I mean, you could use it here too, but you're actually present, so you could just ask a question perhaps. But uh, to those that would like to use the feature, uh, you go to www.speakpipe, S-P-E-A-K-P-I-P-E dot com slash Monday Night Bible Study. And there's a little widget there that you can push, uh, a little button on, and it will record your question, and it comes to me like a voicemail. So, and I'll play it, and then we will answer the question if you'd like to use that. If you have your Bibles tonight, we're going to open up to Luke chapter 1. Luke, Gospel of Luke chapter 1. If you need a Bible, grab one off the table here. They are available. Are you okay? I'm okay. All right, good, good. That's good. Luke chapter 1. We're going to have a little bit of Christmas in April. Yeah. Yeah. We're not waiting until July. We're doing it in April. Yeah. Yeah, so Luke chapter 1 and verse 38, if I get a volunteer to read that. Okay, thanks. Uh, this, of course, is the account of when the angel appeared to Mary, Mary, the Virgin Mary, who would be the mother of Jesus. And before all of that happened, an angel 
showed up to explain to her what was going to happen, and she had opportunity to ask a question or so, and then we have her response is really what was going on here. And so she, some of your Bibles would say her response, uh, the one that Kim read said, I serve the Lord. Anybody know what some Bibles say? I am. No. The handmaiden of the Lord. Remember that one? The Lord's maid servant. Okay. So those are kind of older versions or whatever, but they do have meaning. And so I'm going to take those into consideration as we're talking tonight. But I want to look at Mary and I want to look at her response to the angel because I think there's something to be learned, something to be gained from her response because uh, I think it, it's kind of miraculous the way that she responds. There's a lot of faith that is unspoken as she says what she does say, uh, but it's also implied in what's going on there. So I'm going to start out with her statement that she serves the Lord. In other words, she owns that. Uh, and it's not just she's saying it, but she actually owns it, uh, that she's the handmaiden of the Lord. In other words, what she's pledging with that, and what that word says is that she will serve and obey God. That's what she's, that's what she's saying. And, and so she's making a statement. Now, if you want to read up ahead of that, please do. Take the time while I'm talking to read some of the verses in front of uh, verse 38. You go all the way back to into the 20s there to read everything that's going on. But understanding that the angel appears to her and gives her some news. What was the news the angel gave her? You're going to have a baby. All right? You're going to have a baby. And who's this baby going to be? It's going to be Jesus who's going to be all this stuff, right? He's going to be the Savior. He's going to have a kingdom. He's going to never end kingdom. Uh, he's going to be everything. All right. And so this is the word to her. Now she had a question. What was the question she asked, which makes perfect sense? What she asked? How's this going to happen? In other words, you got an angel saying you're going to have a baby. She's thinking to herself, I've never had any kind of sexual relations with a man. So, and I don't mean to ruin anything for any of you if you don't know this information, but she's saying that she, she doesn't have, she, she asked the angel, how's it going to happen? I'm still a virgin. And the angel explains to her in very generic terms, and we still don't know what he meant by this, but he explains to her how it's going to happen. And so her response to all of that, now, understand that her life is about to change. Even in the best of circumstances, when you find out that you're going to have a baby, your life's about to change. That's even in the best of circumstances. Okay, I, I can remember back when news came around that uh, we were about to have children, that we were going to be in the family way at my house. And I was really happy about it, but there was also a realization in that moment that my life was going to change, that things were going to be different for me from that moment forward. And so that was a realization that it wasn't lost on me. I mean, in the euphoria of the moment of thinking, oh, this is great, I'm so happy, I was thinking, yeah, my life's going to change because your life does change. 
And I think if I, as a guy, can figure that out, like I realize that, I think the woman is going to figure that out like times 10 or 100 or something, all right? Her life's really about to change physically, emotionally, socially, going to the bathroom ways. I mean, their life's about to change. There's all these different ways. And, and so some things never be the same again. And you realize that. And I'm not saying it's bad or good or anything. It's just that's what's going to happen. And so here's Mary getting all this news laid on her. Now, it's not just going to be any baby. It's going to be the Savior of the world. It's not going to be any baby, but kingdoms are going to rise and fall. It's not going to just be any baby, but world champion baby undefeated. Okay, I mean, just the best baby, whatever that means. So, So she's got all this information coming at her. She asks the only question she knew to ask. The angel kind of answers it, and then she makes her decision. Now understand, she has nothing else to do here in this scenario. All right? Like, there's no, like, what's the response? Like, she needs to get up and do something? Nope. Does she need to go out and, and make sure something happens? No. Does she, is there a certain prescribed thing? that she needs to do in order to see this come to pass? No, no. See, the work is done. The deed is done, and this is what's going to happen. And so she's got to respond, or she does respond. She chooses to respond, I should say. And so what's her response? She starts off with, I serve the Lord. And in that is an acknowledgement of her owning where she's at. This is me. This is my life. This is my life with God. I serve him, and I will obey him. And it gives us a a picture of humility. It also gives us a picture of readiness. Now, think about how the angel addressed Mary. He assured her of a few things. Here's what he assured her of. He said, you're chosen, you're favored, and you're saved. Well, isn't that true of us? Yeah. See, and and we get reassured of that all the time. Why do you think God is reassuring us through the scriptures all the time? Well, he's putting us in a position to respond to him. You are in a position. I am in a position that's similar, and not saying that, we're getting pregnant, but it's a similar position with God in that we have this opportunity that continues to rise up in front of us. Where God is speaking over us, he's saying you're chosen, you're favored, you're saved. All of those things that he spoke to Mary, he speaks to us in those three generalized senses there. Because we are chosen, because we are favored, and we are saved. In other words, God's grace is all over us. God has called us. He has poured out his grace into our lives. And we have been forgiven. We have been set free and brought into relationship with him. All of those things are true. They're just as true of us as they were of her. Every single one of them. And there's a reason why he reminds us of that. That he continually reminds us of that. Because it's the other part that comes after that that she needs to remember that. 
She's willing to put herself in a position where she says, I will own this relationship with God. In other words, I am his servant, I, I am his handmaiden, and I will obey and I will do whatever he has required of me to do. So she's willing to own that. But see, he had already told her what was about to happen, and she was still willing to own it. You see, when God says, you're chosen, you're favored, you're saved, we like that part. We want to own that part. Good. You need to own that part. It's the rest of it that sometimes messes with us. It's the rest of it that will, that will begin to eat away us and begin to mess with us if we will allow it. What was the rest of it for her? You're going to bear a child. Well, I've never been with a man before. Correct. But there's going to be a supernatural happening that's going to come over your life, and then you're going to be pregnant, and you're going to bear the Savior of the world. Now, what did that mean to her practically, though? What's her fiancé going to think? We know what he thinks. It's recorded in Matthew what he thinks. As soon as he finds out, he tries to figure out a way, and he starts coming up with a scheme in order to put her away privately. In other words, he wasn't going to embarrass her, and he wasn't going to drag her through the public square, but he sure as heck wasn't going to marry her. And so he started coming up with a way to get rid of her. So so did she think she knew that? Yeah, she knew. He knew that wasn't his baby. So there's, there's consideration number one. Consideration number two, you think the people of that day were really understanding of that? They had not been educated by Maury yet. All right? They did not understand. The term baby daddy had not been invented yet. No. No, this culture, this society, these people did not understand that. They just did not. And so if you showed up like that, this is what happened. You'd be shunned. She understood that too. So here's this girl in her teens. Angel of the Lord appeared to her. Miraculous things happening. Okay, awesome. You're going to bear the Savior of the world, but your fiancé is probably going to leave you, dump you, may even subject you to public disgrace. We knew he wouldn't because of Matthew, but she didn't know that right away. But may bring you in, in for public disgrace, and society as a whole is going to shun you and want nothing to do with you. So, see, she knew the rest of the story. So she heard, chosen, favored, and saved. We like that. It was the rest of the story, which made her response mean something. If you want to own chosen and favored and saved, go ahead, own that. Everybody loves that. All right? We all love that. All of the world of cheap grace is built on that. We want that part, not the rest of it. The church wants that part. And it should. You should receive that, accept that, and live in it. But, but part and parcel with that part is the rest of it. And that's what God has for your life. God's will, God's purpose, God's plan for you, which may or may not line up with the way you thought it was going to happen. I mean, it may. That's always great when it does, but it may not. And when it doesn't line up with what you thought was going to happen, that's when you need to look and say, okay, what's my response going to be to that? 
What is my response to the rest of the story? Chosen, favored, and saved? I like that. Love it. But what about the rest of the story? Rejected? Humiliated? Shunned? That's not so good. So what's our response to that? Well, her response was that she resigned to it. There was a resignation of her will. You don't have to prove you have free will. You don't have to prove it because you do have free will. That is a fact. It's the way God created you. And we don't have to prove we have free will. We don't have to go out and exercise our free will in order to prove that we have it because we just do. We're born with it. We're created with it. It's what God said from the very beginning is that he was going to give that to us. That was proved in the Garden of Eden when Eve and Adam made their own decision, did whatever they were going to do in disobedience to what God had told them, in disobedience to the one limitation he put over their lives, the one thing he said they couldn't do, they decided they were going to exercise their free will to do the one thing that was forbidden to them. So they exercised their free will, they did the one thing that was forbidden to them, and then consequences fell where they did. We don't have to do that. See, they didn't have to do that. And the only reason I'm pointing this out is that we can live with free will without having to prove it all the time. You know, they could have lived in paradise forever, exercising their free will to do whatever they wanted during the day, as long as they didn't do the one thing that God told them not to do. What do you want to do today, Eve? Let's go play with the dolphins. Okay, so they're going to go swim with the dolphins today. Great. Or let's go do something else. Or let's go pick, you know, from the cherry tree. Or let's go pick from the pear tree. Or let's let's make a fruit salad. Or whatever it was. Okay, they had free will. They could have done whatever they wanted to do. Exciting. Let's go climb a mountain or whatever. But no. 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 Let's pick the one thing. God said we couldn't do, and we're going to do that. We're going to exercise our free will on that. You don't have to do that. And Mary resigned her will to the will of God here. She made that decision. It's like, yeah, whatever God has for me, that's what I want. And so she resigned her will. Yeah, I, I doubt it was her will to be publicly humiliated. I doubt it was her will to have her fiancé turn on her and put her away. I doubt it. I doubt it was her will to be embarrassed, to be shunned. I doubt it. But she gave up that for what God had for her. She became submissive. And obedient. In other words, I understand what is being said, and I am ready to obey what God has said. Okay? Now, does that sound crazy to some of you? Does that sound kind of nuts? And yet, there she was doing it. I understand what's being said, and I'm ready to obey. 
what God has for me. Right. And she did own it. Yeah. Right. Now you think about, you know, we live in a society where it's much more accepted, though, than in their society. How much stronger, right? Yeah, but I, I want you to understand, and the reason I'm bringing her up tonight is that this is a decision. This is really a decision. This doesn't just happen. I mean, God chose her. God sent an angel to speak to her. God laid out the plan in front of her, but it was her decision to own it. She's going to own God's will for her life even though God's will isn't very attractive all the time, she's still going to own it. Even though God's will, you can't even understand it sometimes, she was still going to own it. She didn't know where it was going to go. She didn't know what the end result was going to be. I mean, God gave some general words of it'll be okay. But she's going to have to put her faith in that. And she's going to have to own what God is speaking over her life. Yep. Yep. Well, what I thought was interesting, though, is at the end, and and I think the words are used like very. I think the words are used on purpose. It said, and then the angel left her. All right, and you're right. We don't always get the announcement of it supernaturally, but right after it happened, after the the angel was there, he was gone. <laughs> the fiance was still there. <laughs> the all the, the the judgmental relatives were still there. All the nosy neighbors were still there. Everything was still there though, and where she was. But you're right, and I agree with that. But I, I think it's significant though. At the end of these verses, it does say, and then the angel left her because that angel's job was done. Right, the angel was the messenger. He wasn't sticking around for, you know, the rest of the story on that. No. And I don't blame him. I mean, it's time to go. All right. So let's look at some other people in the Bible. All right. There's some other people in the Bible that we can use as examples of this. So somebody look at Job chapter 40 and verse 5. 
Now, y'all know what happened to Job. He lost everything. Everything. Except for somebody to nag at him. He lost everything but the nagging. Kept the nagging. Other than that, he lost everything. Job 40 and verse 5. I spoke once, but I have no answer. Twice, but I will say no more. All right. This verse, what this verse means is you might have you might ask a question. Maybe you got another question, but you don't know. All right, and neither do I. And what Job realized is that when it came right down to the end of it, he didn't have any answers for what happened to him. The only answer that he had for what had happened to him is that it was God's will. That was it. And he was expected to own that. And he did. And it didn't come, though, and, and that's why this verse is kind of a cool verse. It didn't come without him thinking it through. In other words, he wasn't like some, some robot that was programmed, oh, okay, whatever God says. He wondered. He was trying to figure it out. He had his counselors there, his friends, and they were telling him it was all his fault, but he knew it wasn't his fault. And so they would just go on and on about how it was his fault. Then he would, you know, answer them back. And so they went through this whole thing over and over again. And then finally toward the end of it, it's like, well, why did this happen or what's going on? It's like, well, I don't know. Can't answer that, but I'm going to own it. And in the end of Job, you know, what happened to him is that he was restored fully and even more so than before what he had was taken away because he owned the will of God in his own life. You have to own that if you're going to see the other side of it. What's the alternative to owning the will of God in your own life? What are you going to do? What's a good alternative, a bad alternative to that, I should say? What do you do? What, what do you do with the will of God if you're unwilling to own it? What are you going to end up doing with the will of God all the time? You're going to end up fighting it. You're going to fight the will of God for your life. All right? And you fight, 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 fight. Who's going to win? Fight, 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 fight. You better hope you don't, okay? The big fish wins because you're running away from what God has for you. That's Jonah. Reference to Jonah. But God got him where he needed to go. The, the issue is with us is that the sooner we can own what God has for us, the sooner we can own his will, the sooner we can own his purposes for our lives, even if it looks unattractive to us. That's where fulfillment is. That's where peace is. That's where joy is. That's where effectiveness is. That's where the grace of God lives. And even greater abundance. Fighting him is a frustrating battle it is a losing proposition not to own what he has for you you're going to keep fighting it you're going to keep fighting it it's exhausting you're going to just do what i'm going to do is exhausting well things aren't working out again yeah no kidding no kidding it is exhausting to keep trying to fight against what god has for you it just really is and not to mention, you're missing all the blessings there are in owning it instead of fighting it. It's like you're, you're wasting time. Instead of 
instead of flowing with the current of God's river for your life, man, you're just fighting tooth and nail trying to swim upstream. And you're exhausted going as fast as you can, but you look at the shore, where'd you go? Nowhere. You're fighting, 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 fighting. Swimming as hard as you can, but you're getting nowhere. That's what it's like. And so Mary, she gives a little... She, she gives a little prayer. Now, you think about Jesus, too. I was thinking about Jesus in all of this. So Job, he resigned himself to God's will. He owned it. What about Jesus? Where do you hear about that? Where, where do you think Jesus? How do we know he did that? Not my will, but yours be done. In other words, the Garden of Gethsemane. Lord, if it be possible, could you take this cup from me? That's Jesus speaking to the Father. But nevertheless, you can wait for the answer. But nevertheless, <laughs> not my will, but yours be done. Luke twenty two forty two. Not my will, but your. So, what was the will of Jesus? He wanted the cup to pass from him. And so he had to resign his will. Didn't he have free will? Couldn't he have exercised it in that moment? Sure he could have. He could have, but he chose not to. And so he resigned his will. He owned the will of the Father in his own life. And we get to see that. We get to see that process in the life of Je even Jesus. You get to see it. That he had to make a decision to own that in his own life. Even Jesus. How much more us? Jesus, he, he had plenty of supernatural help. Angels ministered to him in the wilderness. And he had the transfiguration. And he had all of that stuff happen. All right, all of the supernatural revelation, all of the supernatural speaking, the voice of the Father coming down at his baptism, the voice of the Father at the transfiguration, all of those things. And, and God was flowing through him in, in signs, wonders, and miracles, raising the dead, all that. And he even had to come to a place in his life where he owned the will of the Father in his life. He just accepted it. He resigned to it. Why? Because he had free will. Why do you? Because you have free will. We all do. And we have to come to that place in us where we're willing to, I'm the handmaiden of the Lord. Well, I'm not personally, but, you know, we can, we're the servant of the Lord. You know, figuratively. You understand what I'm saying? Don, you understand what I'm saying? I'm a, I'm a, yeah. Yeah. So we come to that place where I understand what is being said and I'm ready to obey what God wants. All right. So she says a little prayer. And the little prayer is that God's word would come to pass. In other words, here's the assent, the yes and the amen that she gives, that, that she's believing what God is saying. Somebody look at 2 Samuel 7.25. we got another example here. 2 Samuel 
forever the promise you have made concerning your servant and his house who is the promise. All right. Who's speaking that? Do you know? Anybody? David. David. Right. And so what's he assenting to? What's he saying? God, you have said something. What am I asking you to do? Do it. Do it. That's the yes and the amen. That's why in our lives there's those moments where we need to give the yes and the amen to whatever God has. God, you've spoken this over my life. Yes and amen. God, you've called me to do this thing. Yes and amen. Bring it to pass. Bring it to pass. That we come into agreement. And it's okay to come into agreement with him. We have to come into agreement. And and this thing is that God's word comes to pass in my life. Do you know what? Your your destiny may be mingled with some anguish. Did you know that? It's possible. That's possible. That your destiny, that your call, the fulfillment of your call on your life, that the thing that God has for you might be mingled with some anguish along the way. I'm just breaking it to you now so that when you're in anguish, you won't think I'm being mean by saying it. I'm just letting you know now that all of us, as we fulfill that which God has for us, all of us, as we're moving down that road that God puts us on, that he has for us, the things he has for us, the lives he has for us, the purpose, the plans he has for our lives, there's going to be some anguish in there. Sometimes. And so we look at that and say, okay, I understand that, God. I want it. Yes and amen. Even so. Because it's one thing to agree. It's one thing to agree with God when it's in general terms. It's one thing to say, yeah, God, just have your will. Your will be done in my life. Like in the Lord's Prayer. That kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. All right, that's a general statement where we're making agreement and we're saying, God, I want your will to be done. Now, the specifics of that may involve hardships and anguish. Because a lot of times God's will isn't the easy way. A lot of times God's will isn't the most convenient way. A lot of times God's will isn't what we would necessarily choose to do. And so some of these decisions and some of these things that that we come down to, they need to be already in process, already being made before we hit those times. Because what's the temptation as soon as something hits hard, that, that something gets difficult in our life? What's the temptation? Quit, leave, run. Yeah. That's always a temptation. Quit, leave, run. Yeah. And and there's a lot of things, though, in the scriptures that needed to happen, that were God's will to happen, that wouldn't have ever worked out with the particular person it did work out with if they had quit, left, or run. When it happened, they had to stand through because they made their decision. They gave the yes and the amen. They said, God, I hear what you're saying, and I'm with it. This is what it is. This is my life. I own it. I own this purpose. I own your will here. And that's all there is to it. And those are all statements of faith. You see, exactly as God says, there's a precision to that. And what does that mean exactly as God says? 
meaning not what he said plus what I made up. Not what he said, but what I think he meant. You see, when God says something and then we do, there's a dissonance when we make something up. There's a dissonance with that. And that becomes, as Dietrich Bonhoeffer would say, that is unbelief. It is. Because you, your mind wants to make something else up. When things get hard, when things get whatever it is, whatever your brain says it is, uncontrollable, or, or whatever, you feel uncomfortable somehow, you want to make something else up. But what God really meant by this was, and then he just makes something else up so you can get out of it and go do something else. This is human response. I'm not judging anyone. I'm not thinking of any specific examples. I'm not even thinking of anyone in particular right now. I'm just saying this is the human response. This is what we do. This is what we do. So Mary... Because she didn't need to do anything for this, there was really none of that, was there? Right? She didn't have any part in it other than she was there. Okay? She, she, all, everything that God said about her, that she's chosen, she's favored, she's saved, all that's true, and then she's there. The angel says, this is what's going to happen to you. And so she, had to come into agreement with the consequences of what God's word was over her life. And this, to me, is the major concession of the whole thing. It's easy to start something, it's harder to finish it. The start of it is whatever we want to think of it as. Well, what this is going to look like this, and this is going to be just like that, and this is the way this is going to turn out, and this is how this is going to happen. Yeah, well, it may not. And the real concession on our part has to do with the consequences of whatever it is God's spoken over our life. What does that mean? I don't know yet. I don't know. She didn't really know. She had in her brain, I mean, she could extrapolate some stuff there because she'd been in her society. She'd seen things like this happen before, so she could extrapolate what was about to happen to her. But the major concession she made is that no matter what the consequences are going to be, no matter what it's going to look like, no matter what I'm going to have to endure, understanding all of those things, I'm on board. I'm in agreement. I'm in agreement. If Joseph leaves me, I'm in agreement. If my parents kick me out of the house, I'm in agreement. If, if everyone refuses to help me, I'm in agreement. If they stone me to death, I'm in agreement. That is a powerful concession on our part. Powerful. And so, as I started out, this is a, she's a teenager. And she's making an amazing statement of faith here. By declaring herself the handmaiden of the Lord. That is an amazing statement of faith. What's going to happen? I don't know. How's it going to turn out? 
She's going to have the world champion baby. That's what she was told. World champ. Universal champ. So, but everything else that goes along with that, everything else that occurs with that, I don't know. We've got to stop arguing about it. With who? Well, not each other, with God. We need to stop arguing about it. If we're really going to be used and we're really going to see God move through our lives, we're going to have to stop arguing with Him about His will and His purposes for us. We want to control it. We want to make our lives nice or whatever it is. I don't know. Something. And so the argument pops up and all this comes up and we end up just treading water or swimming against the current the whole time. Instead of finding a good flow in his river and getting on with what he has for us. You want to fight him? You can. You have the free will to do that. You want to fight his purposes for your life? You can. You have the free will to do that. You want to fight against his will? You can. You have the free will to do that. All of those things are true. You have all that's necessary, all the tools necessary to fight against what God has for your life. You do. To try to to try to mold and shape your own consequences, try to mold and shape how your life is going to turn out. You have every tool to try and do that. All I can say is, what's that? Yeah. Yeah. There would have had to be another, I guess. I can't even answer that. I never thought about that. Right. Right. Or you say yes, then no. Or no, then yes. <laughs> I mean, you know what I mean? It's like, yeah. Another person I thought of was uh, Hannah, back in the book of Samuel. Remember Hannah? She couldn't have babies. Uh, this is our last verse here. Look up First uh, Samuel three eighteen. First Samuel three eighteen. Uh, I think it's really Hannah, but I could be wrong. 
Oh, okay. Okay, so Samuel, when uh, he was growing up in the in the in the temple, Eli was the high priest, and Samuel had God speak to him, and so you know he didn't realize it was God trying to speak to him. And Eli, if you remember the story, Eli said, because uh, he kept thinking Eli was calling him. So Eli was like, yeah, I'm not calling you. Just next time it happens, just say, speak, Lord, your servant is listening. And so God would speak to him. And, and Eli basically just took his point and, and, and took his place with God. Now, as bad as Eli was, and he was pretty bad, his sons were worse. His sons were really bad. Eli just, he was just a big fat guy that was, you know, the high priest, and he just didn't, he he was not well respected, I guess you'd say. His sons were terrible, and they were, um, they were corrupt, and they were stealing from people, and he was doing nothing about it. And so when it came right down to it, what's the word of the Lord? You could look at him and say, well, maybe he just doesn't want to know what the word of the Lord is. Maybe it's not good to him. But he didn't take that stand. He's like, whatever God has to say, let it be done. Let it be done. And so he he took a position where I think even for a guy who really wasn't at the top of his game spiritually, he took a position where he said, whatever God has, that's what I want. Let it be done. Let it be done. And so it wasn't Hannah after all. It wasn't Hannah. I thought it was Hannah, but it wasn't. And so I, I look at even a guy like that, and if he had enough sense to say that, enough sense to to at least want whatever God says, you know, we can learn from even that guy for our own lives. I'd say as a as a minimum thing, we should at least want to be as spiritual as Eli. <laughs> I mean, you know, if you you got bottom line kind of goals spiritually, I think you should at least be as spiritual as that guy. He he was not good. All right? But he at least had enough sense for that. So, uh not that we're going for the bare minimum, but I do want to say I really believe that God has a good future for us. I really believe that. I believe he's got a good future for you, for me. And we need, if we're going to ever really get there, there needs to be some kind of a resignation of whatever it is that fights against what God has for us. And we need to become the servants, the handmaidens of the Lord. And own it. And own it. I'm not God's peer. Neither are you. 
I don't have, I don't match him in strength. I don't match him in wisdom. I don't match him in anything at all. And maybe that's an obvious thing, but I know if you know I'm going up against a guy and I take a look at him, and I don't think the end result's going to be very good for me. I find a way to move on to something else. I don't need that kind of a fight. So, if I'm going to be a servant of anybody, it's going to be him. If I'm going to bow and knee to anybody, it's going to be the Lord. But I need to mean it, at least. And so I encourage you that maybe we haven't meant it or maybe we bow a knee to the idea of it but we don't bow a knee to the consequences of what that means and so I want to encourage you tonight to consider your spot as Mary had to consider her spot and we're either going to own it or we're not we're going to bow a knee or we're not we're going to keep trying to figure it all out or we're going to take hold of his purpose and his plan for our life. The mixture of those things doesn't work even. And so I just want to encourage you that there's a better way. And there are plenty of people, if you look at Job, you look at Jesus, you look at David, you look even at Eli, Mary figured it out. They figured it out. And they gave us an example that we can follow. And so I guess bottom line is I want to encourage you to that. Anybody have any questions or comments? I mean, if you look at the word of the angel to her, did he give her a bunch of details? No. Not really. I mean, she could have had a few more questions, right? But, I mean, there's a bunch of stuff left out. It wasn't exactly, you know, every little minute thing. But it was simple, and it's exactly what happened. Didn't need to make anything up. Didn't need to add anything. He was done... And so he left her. That was it. Any other comments or questions? That's always good to hear. Christmas in April. <laughs> All right, let's pray. Father, thanks for just the examples we have through the scriptures. And I thank you, God, that we 
are in a position right here and right now to own your will and your purposes for our lives. To, to really hold on and to agree to the consequences of what it is to follow after your will. And maybe we can't see all the consequences right now, but we can extrapolate some. We have all of history to look at to see when people served you and when people lived their lives for you, what could and what did happen to them. And so it's not a super huge mystery what the possibilities are that could happen to us if we're going to serve you and we're going to follow after you and we're going to do what you call us to do. So God, tonight I, I pray that we would take hold of you, your will and your purposes for our lives, that we would be your servants, we'd be your handmaidens, submissive and obedient. And not just in a general way, but just really grabbing hold of your will be done in me. In my life, exactly as you've said it. And as hard as all this is to really, really grab hold of, I pray that somewhere in our spirit, somewhere in our hearts, deep in us, we could really grab hold of this. And I pray that you would activate a faith in us, a real faith in us, to move forward in all that you have for our lives. God, I pray that you would shake some things loose that need to be shaken loose. I pray, God, that you would solidify some things that need to be solidified in us. And I ask you, God, that we would step forward with a resolve and with a faith. You are faithful. You are true. You take care of your people and your ways and your plans your will, your purposes, they are perfect in our lives. We declare that in Jesus' name. Let's agree with an amen. 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 God bless you guys for being here, and thanks for coming out.